this episode of Season 2, 1980 Podcast, I'm talking to Tim May. He's a creative director at a company called X-Plane. I've been a big supporter and follower of X-Plane back when Dave Gray was the CEO. And it was just a company that really shaped how I thought about change management. Because they did it in a visual way. They used graphics, they used culture, various different tools to communicate. And that's really what I'm all about. And so I'm a big fan of Explained, and I've been following Tim on Twitter for quite a while as the creative director. And we've never actually met in person. We had one phone call earlier this year. And as I was putting together season two, I decided to reach out to him because I think I needed Tim to fill in the final gap that I had. Because I needed someone that was a leader and a creative director in this specific niche. And so I think Tim's going to round out this whole crew. It's an amazing group of people, and I'm really excited. So let's get to it. Hi, everyone. Today I'm talking to Tim May. He's the creative director at X-Plane. X-Plane is a change management company um, based out of Portland. And I've been a big fan of them back when Dave Gray was uh, leading it. They are innovative in the visual design space. They help create change, culture, um, all kinds of different really amazing things, and they do it in a visual way. And hence, Tim and I connected on Twitter uh, several years ago, and we've stayed connected. And we connected earlier this year as I launched this business. And it was really cool to kind of reach out to him again and say, hey, let's hop in a podcast. Let's talk a little bit about how Explain does it. And specifically from a creative perspective, as a creative director, how he does it. And we're going to learn a lot of cool tips, tricks, and techniques, learn about the visual thinking school, and a lot of approaches that Tim takes into leading change. Because earlier we heard from Pam, a uh, best-selling author, about communications and uh, making sure messages land. This is coming from a culture perspective, coming from a visual design perspective, and it's just yet one more perspective to add to our toolbox as we make transitions to change. So let's get to it. Recording and losing something, so I'm extra conservative. So um, <laughs> I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll kick it off. Uh, I just did a pre-recording on the intro part of it, and I'm going to come back to this. And then we, I'll give you just kind of an intro on what this podcast is about just for the, for the audience as well. And a couple of topics I want to hit on is um, mostly just around your visual thinking, because that, that's unique. The topic and theme of this season I'm putting together is around change management. So I just finished doing a, an episode around change communications. In this case, I want to kind of focus on your work, talk a little bit about explain kind of your philosophy with explain. And then I want to talk about the visual thinking school because that's coming out and that's really cool. And it's a skill set. I think more and more people, it's such in high demand. So I'm glad you, you're you doing that. How's that sound? Sounds great. Okay. All right. So, hey, welcome back. Today, I have an incredible guest, Tim May. He's the creative director at X-Plane. It's an incredible firm in, in Portland, Oregon, but they are a global reach. I have been a big fan. It is actually, um, Tim may or may not know this, but X-Plane has been the guiding principle for my own personal business and how I've always wanted all my business to be. I just never had a chance to work at X-Plane specifically. But um, I really like just the way they see the world and how they treat change and how they treat visual thinking. And in fact, my genesis into visual thinking started with Dave Gray, and I think he was the founder of Explain back in the day. And later on in the season, I have an interview with Sonny Brown as well, who also was a big influence on me as well. So Tim, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much. And uh, I really appreciate that. And I've been working at Explain since 2008. Uh, so it's quite a long time to have to have a single job. Uh, but I, I also am kind of a convert to visual thinking uh, via Dave Gray's Explain in, in, in the sense that, you know, it's the reason I still work there. I love what I do. There, there's really, I, I work that way when I'm not working for explain now that, that, but being able to integrate visual thinking into, uh, my life and the work that I do is, is just, uh, it, it's sort of become a part of me. So you're in, were you, do you were influenced by Dave Gray in the, in the space, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, he, he's, he's still a part of the company and, and, the, uh, you know, he founded explain in 1993, um, and he actually has Seattle roots. I don't know if you know, but he was at the Seattle Intelligencer. Uh, he did infographics uh, and and design, and that was where he kind of gained his um, passion for. You know, as he was looking at the newspaper, he'd see the business section with all the numbers and everything, and he was like, "What does this mean? This looks like the operating system of the world, and I don't get it." Um, and he wanted to make that clearer to people. So, so part of the genesis of Explain was was that you know, being able to kind of see the value of information graphics, but also trying, wanting to explain things that seemed hidden to people so that they'd be clear. My, my first exposure to Dave was, I think he did a uh, whiteboard uh, fireside chats back in the day and he would just kind of doodle on his little tablet. And I guess though, this was before tablets were even invented, uh, but he was writing on the whiteboard, talking about things, explaining things. And I was like, this I was fascinating. I was like, I think this way, what, how do I become more like this guy? In the last season, I interviewed uh, Lee Lefevre from Common Craft, who does the little paper cutout explaining our videos. And both you guys and him, like this is, we're leading at edge at the end of the day, right? I mean, this is like before infographics were around, before all the stuff that we see today and we take for granted. It was carved out back in the day and, and incredible. I'd like to hear more about your history. Like, how did you come to be? How did you fall into explain? And what's your background? Yeah. Yeah. Um... I started out as kind of, you know, a riddle and child of the 80s. I was um, uh, not very good at concentrating on anything but drawing. Like I could draw all day, but, um, you know, my math teachers told me I'd make a great artist, um, but don't go into math. Uh, so so when I, I graduated with a degree in drawing and painting, um, thinking that I might be a studio artist, like that was the direction I thought my career would go. Um, and And the kind of first little career crisis I had was, uh, it was really lonely and I really like people. And um, so, so it was less, I mean, I, I was kind of okay with being a starving artist, but at the same time uh, I, I wasn't okay with being alone all the time. <laughs> so, so kind of a natural curiosity for, for people and how they work uh, drove me to, to more commercial art jobs. And I, I had some, some weird jobs coming out of school, but um, I, we, we settled in Boston and I, uh, there, I, I began with a, a, a company in 99 where uh, it was um, kind of web 1.0, right? That, that, that it was building things that were somewhat interactive. There's a lot of visuals to them. I was kind of an illustrator designer uh, and, and really enjoyed that. And then I worked for a group at Hewlett Packard that had a really interesting mandate. They were a group that was literally in, in a garage where they would wash down their company cars um, and it was trying to recapture the spirit of the garage at Hewlett Packard where they wanted to innovate. And, and this innovation team was very much about um, trying to find technologies that were being developed at Hewlett Packard and spinning them out as organizations. So this was kind of a, an icebreaker uh, uh, innovation lab. And 
And that uh, sort of broadened my world to understand like what what consulting is and how you actually take ideas and make them viable and, and get them out into a marketplace. So that that was a pretty cool introduction to, to that way of thinking. Um, and I worked at Hewlett Packard for about four years. And in between that time, I moved from Boston to the Northwest uh, and worked out of the Vancouver, Washington uh, office that Hewlett Packard had a big plant there where they, they used to make printers. Um, and then after, after a little bit of time there, I, I worked with some design agencies in Portland and, and some marketing agencies where I kind of missed the sexy side of it. Like I wanted to do more, um, you know, when, when you're in a large organization, sometimes you don't have a lot of reach in the work that you can do and you don't have a lot of creativity. Um, and so working for, for there's a, a company in uh, Portland, a, a firm called Curiosity that was really fun. Um, and we had some, some really interesting projects run through there. Uh, but then when the opportunity came to work at Explain, I think the thing that, I, that, that really intrigued me from the start was Explain was using design in a very different way. Um, my, both my parents are, are uh, professors. And so I've always loved, you know, sort of education, my wife professor as well. So it's kind of in the blood, like, like I'm the black sheep, not, not, you know, teaching at a university somewhere, but I love the, the, the idea that by using visuals, you can help people change behavior in ways that you can't otherwise. Um, that, that, and, and, and all of us have been through so many bad PowerPoints uh, that, that, that we just, that there's a real value in, in sort of the social side of using art to help people change that, that you use the design and, and by, by, by walking through the image with a person, you're able to get them so much further than your bullet points or, you know, sort of like the other means that often people think about change. My, my first exposure to the professional world, I came in and everything was in spreadsheets and PowerPoint and, you know, just bullet point after bullet point after bullet point. And I just don't think that way. That's not how my brain works. And for me, English is a second language. So even then, like I had a, the, the barrier of the English language in itself. And and we weren't explaining things very well uh, in written form. And early on in my career, I, I came across Dave and Sonny Brown and a number of people that were into kind of this visual thinking. And I said, hey, what if I just kind of took images and kind of created images to explain all this technical stuff? And I created a very rudimentary version of an infographic and it just caught fire, right? So the clients we were working with all of a sudden are like, can I, I just want that one page or give me that image. That's good. I don't need the rest of the report, right? Cause that's, that's what I really need. I need to be able to explain this to my constituents. And so I found the power of visual thinking. Um, and, and I think one of the premises of this show in 1980 is I'm also a child of the eighties, um, I grew up in an analog world, right? I drew on paper. We did stuff with phone books. This was before the internet. But then it came of age during a digital world. So I saw the power of digital. So you and I were chatting over Zoom on, on the internet. So digital has such powerful things. But I think the combination of those two spaces, and you talked about visual thinking. So this is where I want to go next in the visual thinking is I do a lot of prototyping. I do a lot of writing in, 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 on paper versus digital. I have all the, all the tools to do it digitally, but I still prefer to do it on paper. And so I want to kind of understand a little bit your philosophy. You do teach a, a, a program or course called Visual Thinking School, and it's actually coming up very yeah. soon. Uh, tell, yeah. Let's tell the audience what that is about. Yeah, so so we've we've kind of rebranded those as Visual Thinking Boot Camps um, in, in the sense that we we're trying to accomplish quite a bit in a short amount of time. And uh, it's it's one of my favorite things that I've ever done in my career. I really enjoy um, being able to help people 
that there's there's a certain point, right? There's a little threshold where once people start to see it work, then and and they and they see that the thing that they built started a conversation and kind of got a fire going for somebody else. Like it it is you know the, this sort of way of you feel like you've discovered you've discovered fire. So yeah, we're, we actually have um, a couple of courses that we've we built out as a part of this. There's a 101 and a 201. Both of them are are about a total of eight to ten hours of content that are broken up over a couple of weeks for an online teaching environment. Now, um, you know, being the drawing and painting materials, you know, I, I love getting my hands messy and work, you know, working with markers and, and paper, uh, I think is, is a, it's a better way to connect with humans and get humans to kind of come together than, than online. The, the, the level of engagement is just hard, right? That we have screens, not imagine Daniel, you've got your zoom window, but you probably have five or six other windows open that might be calling for your attention. And when you can get people in a room with markers, post-its and large sheets of paper, um, that there's really a different kind of, uh, mechanic that, 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 that uh, not, not mechanic, but it's a dynamic that happens where people are, are, um, are understanding each other in ways that are not political, that are not based on sort of agendas, but just by getting your ideas out of your head up onto the walls and, and being able to evaluate them, not w- w- without ego, uh, you're, you're able to, to much more quickly come to alignment, right? That, that it seems like more than anything else, when there's a team that's trying to work on a challenge and they work visually to be able to tackle the challenge, all of a sudden that that sort of collaboration, visual collaboration is the least guarded form of collaboration in my view, right? That we love to fight over words, right? That's the wrong word that you chose for that thing. Um, but for some reason, we images make us come together. Like, like we don't fight so much over, over the bad picture that we just drew. Um, and I think that the other thing is people's level of discomfort with drawing. A lot of people who don't draw regularly, they say, you know, the, the, the things I hear most often, I only draw stick figures um, and, and I'm terrible at drawing. Uh, and and I, I think that um, the, the, the by letting go of those fears, embracing your inner four-year-old and just putting, putting, you know, the marker to paper and drawing something also gets rid of some of your your biases and some of your uh the the, the kind of preconceived things that that work their way the ticks that work your way into your writing and everything else uh you, you're kind of able to evaluate things a very different way so so the boot camps are um they, they kind of go through the foundational blocks of first understanding that that visual thinking is a language in the same way that music is a language programming has languages when you let reach a level of proficiency with that language, you can write your own work in that language. So, so that, that as you start with any language, right, you, you start with the alphabet and Dave Gray has talked, you might've talked to other guests about having a visual alphabet. Um, there are 12 characters that Dave Gray has identified that are kind of key to building everything else. And, and if you think about the way people learn, um, and, and you you have a, you know, as, as you speak English as a second language, right, you start with the alphabet and then you start to understand, like, what are the nouns? What are how do I put those together with verbs and other types of speech in order to make a coherent sentence? 
And in visual thinking language, you take these basic shapes. How do you combine them in ways to make coherent objects that people can understand? Um, and then as you start to build your vocabulary and your understanding of the language, you're able to start to tell stories, right? That now you can put a few words together and you can make those words make sense. And, and you're able to, to create images and vignettes that are compelling. So, so we, we try to start with that sort of basic version of language and move all the way up to being able to tell stories. Um, and, and then from, from your ability to tell stories visually, that sort of fits into frameworks that we would consider are, are more or less the, the kind of grammar and scaffolding for how you start to tell really complex visual stories. So any information graphic that, that let, let, me, let me say this. In, in the last 10 years, information graphics have have become very popular, and there are um, lots of them that uh, are, are kind of about fonts and, and informatics and showing pie charts and that kind of thing. And, and, and that's great. I, I love that people have embraced the, the you know, that the sort of it, it's, it's not just the niche thing that, that it used to be at the same time. The the work that Explain does is much more about getting a, an actual response, making something happen as a result of the work that we put together than just informing people about here's, here's this infographic on this topic. So, so when we engage with our consulting clients, a lot of times the, the, the graphic that we build together is an artifact that is part of a larger change program, but there are so many other elements that are part of that change that we're, we're trying to make happen that, that, that clients want to be more customer centric and that in creating a culture of customer centricity inside an organization, um, the, the, the graphics that we build reflect people's thinking of, you know, that they're, they're a great way of being able to catch that vision of the thing we want to create. What does that look like? Um, really great for, for capturing the customer journey of the future, right? That we want to see how our customers are working together. And, and so, so, so putting those things together, you know, being able to visualize that is by far the easiest way to communicate it and get people to buy in. So all of these are things that are part of this um, visual thinking bootcamp that we'll talk about. We talk about customer journeys. We talk about frameworks. We talk about empathy mapping and some of these other things that are that are part of what uh, Explain has contributed to sort of the, the the world's visual thinking lexicon. And and it, it's a journey. It's not like a bootcamp. You take bootcamp and you're done. It's an ongoing journey. And what I discovered is. Uh, when you talk about visual alphabet for adult learners, you don't just go in all of a sudden you're an expert in the space. You are learning the basic building blocks. So it's the equivalent of my five-year-old right now learning basic words. He's going to have to go on a journey. He's not going to go out and write a Shakespeare play overnight, right? It's going to take a lot of time. And I love that you're putting these building blocks together and start going on this journey. What I've noticed a trend is with you, uh, Sunny Brown, a number of others, as they've progressed in this journey, things get really almost to a level of spiritual philosophical right and yes. so this practice it's no longer you're no longer doing pictionary you're not playing a little game and it's this, it's a cute little thing it gets to a point where the this practice becomes really deep i find that you're, you're connecting to people at a completely different level right we're starting to connect individuals organizations and we're shifting we're moving ties we're changing things and it's not just more mechanically practice um i'm trying to understand this a little bit more because I, i'm trying to figure out myself because i'm getting close to that point in my personal journey but I'm also seeing my heroes yourself, Sonny Brown, Dave Gray. Once you get to this like super expert level, you start becoming like this philosopher, this spiritual guide. It's just a whole <laughs> different level. 
Yeah, you know, it's it, it's really interesting, and and you're right. I think that there's so much of of what has come about in 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 the visual thinking space is un, is is that that empathy side, right? That that the more we're able to empathize with people, and the more we're able to connect with them. There, there really is that the thing that I mentioned about being in person that, that, that is hard to replicate over Zoom is, is there is an energy that, that people have, right? The, the sort of, uh, you know, that I'm not going to get way out there, but, but the idea that the, the sort of the energy field that people create, right? That and, and that leaders inside of organizations are always dealing with um, the kind of context in which their employees understand the organization. And, and so there, there is this sort of, I mean, it's not religion, but culture is close, right? Mm-hmm. That, that a culture inside an organization, I, I've got a friend um, who was uh, one of the design directors for Jordan Brand, right? And you think about what an iconic brand that is. And you think about the anthropology of that brand. Where, where when, when you're understanding Jordan and the brand that, 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 that he created, you, you have to understand that Michael Jordan was, you know, that the, there are these legends that are a part of that, that are sort of the, the archetypal moments that you need to know. You need to know about the game in Utah where Jordan was sick, but skill still dropped, I think, 34, 40 points and, and managed to win this playoff game and, and the sort of, you know, the game six, you know, like rise up, hit the game. You know, there are these moments that are that are key to understanding that person. And I, I think that, that that really maps to the work that we do inside of organizations. That that as we work inside of organizations, it's really important for us to understand the context that we're we're we're, we're working in and and knowing sort of the energies and the and the the anthropologies that that are key to understanding how that organization would work. So so I do think that as you kind of move along, I think you know I, I think Dave Gray and Sonny Brown are both like like just amazing in the sense that you look at Dave Gray's liminal thinking work, right? And it's it's still very much about it's a visual explanation of of the way people come at each other and are able to kind of get outside of their bubbles. Right. Like being able to get outside and, and pull, you know, that the, the hold hold your beliefs loosely so that you're able to 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 fully understand um, and, and always be on that path of, of learning and growing and understanding. So I, I, it is interesting that, that, that some of it has gone that direction. I, I don't think you're that far out, because if you think about Jordan, right. And, and when, I, when I put him, my Jordans actually jump two feet higher, it just just simply by wearing it. <laughs> um, but energy level, right. That Let's take sports. In that locker room, when the, the guys are together getting ready to go out and play the game, there's an energy level that's there. Any of us that's played sports, we know we're about to compete. There's just a strong energy. And when that energy goes away, we, we don't compete very well, right? We lose the game. We're just not really into it. And so there is some magical, mystical thing, but it is that stuff should also exist within the corporate environment, the work that we're doing, right? And I think yeah. sometimes we disconnect the two when you think, well, athletes can have this rah-rah, but work has to be boring and work has to be dull and dry, and, and, but that's not true. And I think this is where in order to affect change and for, for us to move the work forward, we got to continually be thinking about the energy. Now, mm-hmm. I want to I pull this conversation back a little bit to be more accessible to the average audience here. And I know <laughs> we, we can talk about Mural. We can talk about some of the online virtual experiences and everyone's talking about that now. I want to go back to the analog piece of it because you and I, are, I'm looking at a screen. My screen is a air quote bigger 15 inches screen and, and my phone's like four or five inches 
we're always staring at this little tiny box and you're tiny, right? And in this little box that I'm looking at right now, but in real life, we have big presences, right? We can be big, we can move things around, we can be energetic. I want to paint a picture on what an experience looks like. And I've done a lot of this work as well. Uh, when, when, when you talk about large scale, we're talking about large sheets of paper, four by eight on the walls, covering the entire walls of paper. And so what we're doing is we're changing our field of view, right? So our field of view right now on the screen is a little tiny postage stamp size, you know, picture of something that's happening. But when we expand to an entire room, let's, let's paint the picture to the audience. What does this experience look like when we do visual work um, with paper, markers, pens? What does that look like? Yeah, I, it, that that's that's a great thought, and and I think that there's there's always whenever we're working with clients, one of the things that we we make sure we're able to do is before we meet together in any room, we need to be able to case the joint and rearrange it so that it will work for a collaborative experience, right? The like, like you have these corporate kind of like stereotypical places that they've put together where there's the U shape, right? The big U shape with, with the screen on one side, right? Those places have been built around a passive experience, right? <laughs> that they've been built so that one person presents and other people watch. And by creating a space where we're using walls and sheets of paper on the walls and post-its on the walls and markers, you are creating an engaging experience that requires engagement. So, so we ask a lot of our clients um, where we, we would be terrible. Um, wouldn't be that terrible, but, but our work would be much less effective if clients said, come in and fix our stuff for us. Um, the, and, and be, because that would that would essentially cut them out of responsibility for its success. And where I feel like visual thinking is incredibly powerful is when we bring them into the process and they co-create the solution with us, they're invested, like they're they're bought in because they've they they remember they drew that one little picture that made it into the final piece that we put together. So the way to explain generally works is we would um, work with an organization and this is all we, we're, we're able to make this work online. And we, we found a lot of ways using technology to bridge that gap. But to, to sort of paint the picture of what it was pre-COVID, um, we would generally go work with them for a couple of days. And, and often the, the, the first day and a half is just about getting the ideas out of their heads and up onto the walls and then we'd usually take some time to refine what we've learned and quickly synthesize that into uh, an, an image or two of what we think this is what we're trying to say. And then we throw some darts at that image like, like, like it's, we're not precious about it, but being able to, to get their feedback on, on the work that we've put together, usually that image becomes the cornerstone of what we end up building together. Um, and in some cases, those images have literally become the wallpaper of the organizations that we've worked with, where where they, they've they've put those things everywhere. And in fact, what, one of the sad things that we did with an organization just right before COVID hit was we we had this blueprint version of of, of one of our our uh, information graphics that that they wanted that they had printed large with. Um, QR codes so that people could look and give feedback through the QR code and 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 that everyone in the company as they walked past these and all their corporate offices were going to see them and that was like 
they went up a day before everyone was set, told to go home. So I think they're still there, but we're just not getting a lot right now. Very so. sad. I have a similar story in that it is, you know, we were creating these beautiful murals on the wall where people can walk past and engage. And then all of a sudden we're, we're all home. Um, we're, we're not going to be in a state in, indefinitely, and we don't know what the future exactly holds. And I want to get some guidance from you. And I want to share a little bit of my point of view as well. I think there's so much out there around future work, what the future work looks like, and we're going to be more distributed, less distributed, but it's very tech centric, right? It's very technology centric. And especially as we're working remotely from home, what my, my biggest fear is we're going to over index on the technology side and forget the humanity piece of it. And as people go back to work, they're coming back in the office, we're going to design walls where it's just plastered technology or there's a little AV, you know, heat on off that's right in the middle of the walls. We can't hang anything in the walls. The whole purpose, and I think if I were to give advice to anyone that's rethinking what your future office looks like, I think use the office not as a technology center, but use the office as a place. It's the campfire. It's the campfire where humans get together and do human things. And we go home and we do stuff virtually back and forth like you and I are doing right now. But the office, the only intent of ever getting people together is so we can do human things. And so I would almost argue the office of the future has very little tech at all. It's a space mm -hmm. where we can get in there, collaborate, touch, feel, play around with things, interact with things. And then we come back and we do our work on a computer all day long. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that space? Yeah, no, that's, it's interesting you say that because as I, as I speak with you, I'm in my teenager's bedroom that has in front of me four large screens uh, you know, and, and he's got a, you know, he's got a surface. Um, we, we've got it, 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 the technology is moving to our homes, right. And we need that to be able to, to, to work, uh, with, with each other. And I think that that's not going to go away necessarily, but I love the idea of, of your office space being the place for the campfire, the place for, for the clubhouse, but, but really, a place where humans can get together and work together in a human way. Um, I think that, and, and, and as you're saying, um, technology doesn't need to play a big role in that, <laughs> that, that, that the more that you're able to, to work, um, one of the things we like to call is sort of work out loud, right. That by, by, by working with, with post-it notes and, and Sharpies and, and paper, uh, you're able to better express, um, kind of what, what you're thinking. And, and you're also able to, you're, you're able to connect a little better. Um, that, 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 that's a, that's an interesting thought. And I do think that the, 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 the future office, you know, I, I pray that it doesn't look like a cube farm, right? The future office really does need to be set up for collaboration and, and a space where, where it's going to be even more important because there are probably going to be fewer opportunities for humans to connect uh, and having that, that, that physical space is still going to be key. Now let's, let's learn a little bit of what we can do today, right? So that the listeners listening to this episode today, I think we are probably, you're likely sitting in front of a computer screen all day long. I think what you can do and what I have over here with me is I have my Mike Rohde sketch note idea book, right? It's a, it's a paper yeah. notebook. I have sheets of paper floating out there, right? We're not shuffling paper right now because we're doing a recording. You don't want to hear the scrunchies, but I think that one of the best things you can do if you're working at home now is to carve out time away from the screen. And I think that's why we're having Zoom fatigue is for some reason people feel compelled to sit in front of a Zoom meeting for eight hours a day. Carve out that time, do your work on paper, right? I actually build entire PowerPoint decks just on paper before I even open up PowerPoint. And that way of working just gets you away from the screen, reconnects you to the physical world. And so you're reconnected, mind, body is all connected. So I think the simplest thing you can do today is 
you know, maybe get rid of your to-do list that's digital. Get rid of your digital, some of your digital uh, tools that you're currently using and go to paper. And I think that simple shift is going to reconnect you back with your humanity, reconnect you with your, your mind and your body. And it's going to change the way you work. And in fact, you should continue that even when, when we do go back to work, right? And I think I, that practice has always been a part of me. Half my work always stays in an analog paper form and the other half is on digital. Yeah, a part of and, and a part of my job is is creating a visual capture of conversations that, that a lot of times when we're working, explain will pair a designer and a consultant together. And I've I've done both roles. Um, but there's there's something sort of zen and interesting about when you're listening to a conversation and, and making that visual capture of the conversation. And it's it's similar to sketch noting, but it's it, it has a specific purpose. Um, where where we kind of know what we're trying to get out of it in the end. And so you're listening for specific things. But generally that that process of drawing on the the large, you know, 24 by 36 post-its, um, there, there's there's a magic to it, particularly with new clients who've never seen it before, because they will have had the conversation and they're accustomed to the old world where everyone goes into a meeting, they all talk over each other, they take their own set of notes and they go away. What it accomplishes is creating that single shared set of notes that we can look back and litigate and audit and say, hey, let's change this, let's change this. That's probably correct, but maybe we, we need to move this. And, and we, you're, as I said before, the level of alignment goes way up. People are, are much more on the same page because they've worked together to, to kind of like solve that problem. David Zibbett from uh, The Grove calls it uh, group memory. I took their graphic facilitation program and it's the, the yeah. magical thing when the group has the same memory and the same understanding of something as opposed to just individuals fighting over. When you, you as a group yes. operate as one, um, just it takes things to that complete different level. Hey, Tim, yeah. we're starting to slowly wrap up. I appreciate you coming and joining today. I think today we talked about Visual Thinking Boot Camp. I'm a little old school, so I call it a Visual Thinking School. But Visual Thinking yeah. Boot Camp, definitely we're going to put links into the show notes into where you can check out Tim and X-Plane. Um, if you do get a chance, sign up for the program. I, I think it's a great way to get really, really in-depth in this space. And I think for, for my listeners, one of the best things you can do now, especially while we're in lockdown and in COVID, is is train, build these skills because it's a long journey. I know I started mine almost a decade ago and I'm still learning every single day. And so the sooner you start, the sooner you start building some of these skills and you're going to engage and interact in the world in a completely different way. So Tim, I really appreciate you coming today and look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and yeah, the, the, the boot camps are a blast. Uh, we, we try to recreate the same energy that we'd have in the room, but, but map it to online. And one of the notes that you mentioned actually is we make these short for a purpose, right? That, that in the, in the old version, we would do them in a day in eight hours right. because you can manage that the energy in a room when you're together, when we're doing it online, we do it in two hour stints. So you kind of have, it's, it's long enough that you can learn it, but then you have a little time to chew on it before you engage in the next piece of content. So and by taking that, you uh, can model it for your other meetings as well. Cause that's, I, I think that's a leading practice, best practice for online meetings today is you can't do these eight hour retreats, but you can do something similar to what you're doing with visual thinking bootcamp. Yes, very much. I would I would recommend anybody planning on having an eight hour Zoom meeting to reconsider. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim, take care. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed that time with Tim. I did because it was amazing. I always wish I could spend more time talking to him. 
Now do check out his visual thinking bootcamp. Uh, some of the programming is really incredible. They've done a lot to kind of bring it online. It's a great in-person experience, but it's really now an online experience, which I think gives it, makes it more accessible. Before you had to go either to Portland, periodically they offer in other areas, but it just wasn't accessible to everyone. And I, what COVID has really done is made a lot of this programming available to everyone. So come check it out. Go to xplane.com, X-E-L-A-N-E.com and check it out. And hey, if you like this podcast, please subscribe, leave a like, comment, whatever you have within your platform. It definitely helps a lot. And hey, shoot me a note back. I'll send you a sticker. Thank you.